This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Honors Folding, CFO of Medias, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 644. Most of the workforce is at home right now because they're forced to work at home. And they need to get out of the out of their space, but they don't want to. They don't want to take mass transit downtown. They don't want to drive all the way downtown. They want to be able to go a mile and have an office space to get into it. And that's what we're set up to to provide for people because we're suburban based. Revenue is going to be a key word around here, and, and getting getting revenue back up to where to those levels that we had in in March of 2020, which was a, like I said, a record month. Let's beat that month and let's go forward. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak with Mike Brower, CFO of Office Evolution, a fast-growing chain of office space providers. Some of them are franchise-owned, some are company-owned locations. But unlike WeWork and other office-sharing networks, Office Evolution has locations mostly in the suburbs today, where due to COVID, quite a few employees still reside as they work from home and maybe are feeling a a little squeezed for space. As always, we speak to Mike about his finance career journey, but also about the opportunity these unique times has presented to this Denver-based company. Our talk with Mike begins after this. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking with Mike Brower, CFO of Office Evolution. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Jack. It's good to be here. Mike, we're going to start by asking you to look back and share with us Uh, Some of those experiences you feel prepared you for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Well, you know, I I kind of took the traditional route. You know, I I got my degree in accounting at the University of Wyoming and went into, um, you know, passed the exam, went into public accounting. My first job out of public accounting was a controller job with a a national restaurant franchise or Taco John's International. That was a great role to break me into of the running of the business, you know, managing a staff. We, I had a staff there of 10, which was kind of a big staff to start out with. It was, it was a great, it was a great role that, that introduced me, you know, into, into controllership, director of finance, uh, CFO type of progression. 
Can I just ask you about that? Because uh, I want to point out 450 restaurants at one point in time, uh, this restaurant have, was it, was it franchise and company owned both or how did it work? Yeah, it was about 95% franchise. Um, you know, we, we had uh, 15 company owned locations. Most of them were, um, were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where the, uh, we had, we had six of those 15 were in Cheyenne, Wyoming, where, where the, where the company started. It was, it's a great story. I mean, two entrepreneurs, one guy was in insurance. The other guy was, he had, he had a, an auction house and a third guy named John, who was Taco John. Uh, he, uh, he came out to the auction house on Saturdays when they had the auction and he would sell tacos from the stand. And the two gentlemen, the, the insurance guy and the guy that owned the, uh, owned the auction house uh, approached him and said, Hey, we'd like to take this concept and, uh, and franchise it. it. This was 1969. It was the, the precursor to your food trucks that come out. This guy had a trailer and he just served tacos out of the back of a trailer. When you said an auction house, what, what, what type of auction is this? Well, they, they did um, estate auctions. Everyone brought, they brought stuff to this big building in Cheyenne and the, and they would have, um, they'd have a Saturday auction and people come out and they'd buy stuff kind of like a, like an estate sale type of thing. Now I, I got to imagine there aren't too many restaurant startups in, in Cheyenne. I mean, no. what, what did they know? What was special about this? Why did it catch fire at some point in time? Clearly? Well, the, the guy that owned the auction house was kind of, he kind of tinkered in a lot of stuff and he, he, he figured he could build this trailer. Um, and basically the, the first restaurants that they had, there was no inside seating. All you, you walked in, it was like the traditional old drive up. You walked in, got your food and maybe had a couple of uh, picnic benches out front to sit in. And, you know, it was, it was really, really easy um, to put together economic type of situation where it wasn't going to cost a whole lot to put the restaurant, to, the, 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 the actual restaurant preparation of food together. And then they figured they could sell these in mass quantity to people, particularly in small towns. And they went to a lot of small towns and they, they were huge in the upper Midwest where there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, you, you're not going to sell, tacos from Cheyenne in, in Arizona or New Mexico. I mean, it's, it's, it was, you know, typical Midwest uh, is where they went to, to sell these franchises. And it was a low, low entry, low cost entry to get into the, get into the concept. And um, just a great concept. People, they popped up all over. They started in, you know, like I said, in Cheyenne, they popped up, they were heavy in Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, they got down into Tennessee and Kentucky. They had a really some really good operators in Kentucky. Um, and so you're you're the local accounting talent. Were you a, a customer first and then uh, an employee second, or how did you come into their world? Really? Well, I, to tell you the truth, we we I was uh, I worked on their audit with with I was with McGladry and Pollen, and we worked on their I worked on their audit. So I had kind of an insight to 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 when I got the job. So. Sure. That's, that's what so often happens. And so many finance leaders tell us that. Did it grow? Did you join, you know, when it was half the size? Did you see a lot of growth while you were there? You know, I saw, I saw some growth when I was there. It was pretty well established. I came on board 1990. So, you know, it had been established for almost 30 years at that time. So they dabbled a little bit in a full, full service restaurant concept, a sit down restaurant concept when I was there at the time. Did it go public? Did it go public or was it always privately? It's uh, still privately held. The two families still own all the stock. No kidding. And yeah. is it still, uh, does it still have the presence that it did? Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they're, they're still very, very big. They're probably, 
uh, you know, maybe fourth or fifth largest uh, Mexican fast food restaurant out there. You know, they went to a lot of places. Taco Bell wouldn't go into the market because it wasn't big enough, you know. Right. And, right. Uh, and, and they made, um, I was there when they had their first restaurant go past a million in revenue for the first time in, in a year. So it, it, it was an exciting time. And they, they did grow some when I was there. Um, and they continued to be innovative. Um, actually, one of the guys that w- was a partner at the accounting firm, the, the McLadry and Pullen office that I worked at, uh, he is now the CEO of the company. No kidding. So what other types of, if you can think back to that place in time when you were an auditor, what were the other types of businesses that you likely, uh, you know, were auditing at that time? What were the other types of customers? I, I would imagine there, there was only one uh, Taco John's. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. We were, we, we, we did a lot of work on, on, on this, uh, a lot of governmental entities and state entities in Wyoming. There aren't a whole lot of public companies. Um, oil and gas was big. We did a lot of stuff with oil and gas, but um, mostly it was a state. Um, I was on the university audit. Uh, I worked on the state audit. Um, and then, you know, we, we did a lot of uh, municipalities, school, school districts. Well, I have to think that it was one of the, you know, funner places to 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 stick your foot <laughs> step into the industry world uh this would have been one of the places uh, in that part of the world especially it had a you know a really established you know history behind it and and certainly was it a, a growing at that place in time you had had several cfo tours of duty and what i think is interesting is that you're able to remain in that geography as you built your career and it's a, such a variety uh, it's, you know, different industries and what have you. How am I doing? Am I, uh, do you think that's a fair assessment of what you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I went I, from, from Taco John's, I went into insurance, which was a, a great opportunity. We did property and casualty insurance. We were a large brokerage. Um, two guys that I, I went to work with there, um, they could sell hot sauce to you in the middle of, uh, of the summer in Tucson, Arizona. That's how good they were. And they were actually... Um, uh, wrote our insurance at Taco John's. You got to remember, this is Wyoming, uh, mid nineties, pretty small, you know, everyone that kind of knows everyone. And they, they wrote our insurance at Taco John's and, uh, they actually put a blind ad in the newspaper back then you went to the newspaper to find jobs and stuff like that. And, and usually it was on in Sunday in the Sunday newspaper. And so I, 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 uh, I, I looked at the ad in the Sunday newspaper and I thought, Hmm, I know who that is. And they, you know, it was a blind ad. So I called the guys up. I, um, the one guy's name was Bill Murray. We called him Murph. And the other guy was Garth Boreski. And I, I called him up. And I said, hey, guys, if you're looking for someone, I'd be perfect for it. And I'd love to talk to you about it. Well, we don't want to lose the account. I said, you aren't going to lose the account. Barry's not going to. Barry was the, the CFO. Barry's not going to take the account away because you, you know, took their, you, you took his controller. And so we, we worked it out and eventually I came on board there and it was great. We did, um, it was a time that was kind of exciting for, for insurance. We did, um, I, I, was, I went through a lot of M&A stuff. The, the one guy, Bill Murray, his, his family had owned the business since 1877. The, the business is, is over 120 years old almost. And now why, why is Bill Murray called Murph? Well, I, I don't know because... And actually, he spelled it M-U-R-F. So, ah. so but he, he was, um, you know, it, it, there was a lot of old, there's a lot of old families in the, in the insurance business in Wyoming. And, and 
we had an office in Cheyenne and then we had one up in Sheridan and one in Jackson Hole. We were looking for a presence in the middle of the state and they're the second oldest agency in the state and probably the second largest agency in the state was in Casper. And we went up and I we, we negotiated the deal. We had a consultant out of Chicago who helped us with, uh, they actually helped Bill and Garth buy the agency from his, from, from the, his uncles and the family. Now, had you done a deal before? No, no. At that time, I had not done a deal. And this was my first dabble into any kind of M&A stuff. And uh, I learned quite a bit. We structured we structured the agreement so that uh, we were paid out based upon the performance and what, what happened after the sale. Uh, so you said we set a benchmark at the beginning. That was that was the established price when we closed the sale. And then two years down the road, we revalued it and then adjusted adjusted the purchase price at that time you know we bought it uh, on a contract with them um with the with the owners and uh, it was it was uh, an interesting purchase and then we ended up three years after we bought that turned around and sold it for a probably about an eight multiple of what we bought it for and um to uh, to the banking industry because the laws in wyoming had changed and banks were allowed to sell insurance and uh Bank of the West was really interested in getting getting into the insurance business in Wyoming, and they came and offered us a great price, and we said sure. <laughs> I'm thinking this move to insurance was brilliant for you. At the same time, though, you're taking some risks. You, as you described, you're going to have to put in some process and some discipline uh, with these two people who you know. But as you said, they're quite salespeople; they can draw those big picture ideas. But you wonder what the back office must have been like when you arrived and how you were able to have the confidence that, okay, we can get this right. And then to go do a deal not too far down the road. It just seems like you're, uh, when you reflect back on yourself, do you think of yourself as being quite daring back then? Or or were you a little more confident that it, it was okay? It wasn't as uh, all of that. Yeah, there, there was, there was, there was a, there was risk involved for sure, and a, a little bit of daring. But you know, I, what I had were two guys that were really said, "We're going to let you do what you need to do to get this thing going." The three of us, I mean, and that, and that's one thing that we have here at, at Office Evolution is, it was a great leadership team, and they they allowed voices in the room. They weren't, you know, they weren't their egos weren't so big that they couldn't let other voices be in the room. And, you know, we had, we had a staff of 35 people. And so there were a lot of established habits that you had to work with to, to, to get things better. But, um, you know, the, the operation side, um, we had some good people there, um, some really good, uh, what we call CRMs and senior CRMs. And they were, they, they, the process that we had in place operationally was pretty solid. We had to add, we added some efficiencies by upgrading the IT system. And that also helped with the back of the back of the house with the accounting side, but it also helped the processing of operations as well. You know, I, I worked with our attorneys and and we put out the first ever in 120 years this business had been in in place, first ever employee manual that they had ever had. <laughs> and so that that was kind of that was kind of a fun thing. What what I really liked though was these guys also 
rewarded me for the things that I did. And actually, after we went through that first M and A of the, of the acquiring the the operation up in Casper, they um, actually cut me in on and gave me some of the share of the company, which was nice too. They were great guys to work with, and it's a lot like here at Office Evolution. We have a, a great bunch of of people to work with here. The culture matters a lot, and and you know, I I, I think that that's that's something that I learned really as, as a CFO is that culture matters. Well, we want to, we want to ask you about office evolution. And I just want to, I just want to uh, mention to folks that you made an investment at, at Taco John's. You were there six years. You made an investment at, uh, is it Bill Murray's? <laughs> it, 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 it was, it was Ed Murray and Sons. Ed Murray yeah. and Sons, forgive me. Uh, you made an investment there of six years. You were a CFO there. We haven't had too many uh, opportunities to speak to CFOs from the upper Midwest, so I love the extra uh, detail and spending some time with you there. I think our listeners would agree. And uh, But then you relocate to the Denver area. And here you can uh, permit me to use this segue to ask you about office evolution. Uh, having visited the site, it's an interesting place and time for this company, given all of what we're Every CFO is dealing with now as we talk about the office environment and investments that are made there. But we like to ask uh, this question, which is, tell us about office evolution. What does this company do? What are its offerings about? It, well, we're, we're a franchisor of a co-working office space and virtual office solution. The things that really set us apart from anyone else is we're completely suburban-based. We're away from the central business district, which 87% of our locations are on the first floor of a building or second floor. You don't have to take an elevator to go up. Um, and there's there's on-grade parking, free on-grade parking at our locations. So so it, we also then have, we, 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 we focus on um, my, the, the, the micro businesses. Our locations do that. Instead of these big, huge, vast, open spaces for working ours are you know small private offices where people can actually run their business and we also then also we also then have locations where you can drop in um, if you need to have a meeting you can use a conference room if you would just want to drop in and have an office space to come to a couple hours a week you can do that if you just need a mailbox if you need just need someone to, to answer your your phone for you in a professional manner we can provide all of that for you let me let me ask here because I think it's a you're 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 hitting down on something that I think a lot of people are rethinking these days. For those of us who, uh, because of COVID, might be working out of our homes and realize suddenly how there isn't a solution like this for us locally. How we might go to the public library or you might go to a, a Starbucks, and it really doesn't quite work very well. You need a little extra privacy. You need more of a professional environment. How am I doing? Am I hitting on on some of the things you guys have already, you know, realized? That, that's that, that's exactly it, Jack. And, and you know, if you if you live like most people do, they don't. Well, there I shouldn't say that, but there are people that most of the workforce is at home right now because they're forced to work at home, and they need to get out of the out of their space. But they don't want to. They don't want to take mass transit downtown. They don't want to drive all the way downtown. They want to be able to go a mile and have an office space to get into it. And that's what we're set up to, to provide for people because we're suburban based. And we are, we are, we are, we are there for, and, and, and our, our plans are flexible. So if you only need a couple hours a week to have for a place to drop in and have, have a meeting or a place to drop in and just, 
and actually just interact with other coworkers and not, not, not with your kids that you're having to homeschool at the same time, you know, we're there to provide that for you. And that, that's exactly what, that's, that's exactly what um, I, 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 why I think and why we think that we're going to, we are going to thrive coming out of this because there's a lot of, there's a lot of companies that are, are, they're saying, okay, from now on, you know, you're going to be working from home, Joe, and, uh, and you're going to, you're, you're, you, we're going to give you a stipend. You can use that any way you want. You know, why don't you go find some virtual office space or, or an office space close to your home that you can go to, to conduct business and you don't have to come in. And I, I eventually think, I think eventually that we're going to see a lot less of companies having a brick and mortar and they're going to go to our concept and we're going to be close to where people live. That's our advantage. And we have flexible plans. That's our advantage. We, we are set up to thrive in that environment. Now, is this, uh, are, are you backed by private investors or are you going to raise any money or what, what, what's the plan? Well, we, 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 yeah, we have, we have uh, two main PE type of investors. Um, and, you know, we, we will be out there looking to raise capital as well. Um, to, that, that, that's the only way you can grow in this environment. So location-wise, where is Office Evolution today? Well, we're, we're basically from coast to coast. Um, again, 87% of our locations are on first floors of buildings. So most of that's in the, almost all that's in the suburbs. So we're, we're in New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Virginia, um, across the Midwest in Ohio. We're in Missouri, in St. Linda, St. Louis area, Chicago, obviously the Denver area. Um, along the West Coast, we're in we're in you know in in, uh, in Westlake Village, California. We're in the uh, Ontario, California. We're up in the Bay Area. We have locate we have a location just opened up this week in Portland, um, in the suburb of Portland. We're up in in the suburb of Seattle. So we're across the country, Boise, Idaho, almost all over the map. We 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 are we are there, and we're you know we have sixty two of those are franchised, ten are company owned. And we're looking to grow. Now, I think it would be interesting to learn how uh, the business responded uh, to the pandemic. And uh, I would imagine that initially, uh, like every business, there was this initial shock where uh, there was a dip in you know sales, perhaps, as people tried to uh, figure out the lay of the land going forward. Uh, but then I have to believe this was an attractive model to many people who are sort of working at home in not wonderful circumstances and would very much value space out in the suburbs. What, what exactly happened? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we, we, we actually had a record revenue month in March. Um, the, the same month COVID hit, um, it pretty much hit. Yeah. It's pretty much hit. And, and so, April and May were pretty tough. A lot of people were, um, a lot of states were on lockdown, complete lockdown. Even though we provided services and our BCMs could go to the location, we, we, we provided everyone with, with letters, you know, saying they were an essential service. So if they were, you know, stopped, they could, they could, they could show proof, show proof that they were an essential service. But, you know, April and May were pretty, uh, April and May were pretty tough. And we started to climb out of it in June. July, August, September has been strong. 
Um, people are getting back to, like you said, maybe, maybe two days a week I go into the office or maybe I need a place to go into an office two days a week because I've got my kids at home. Um, my wife and I are both working. We're tag teaming, trying to do school and do our, do our jobs. And, and we need a place to go for a couple hours. And so, um, and a lot of companies, like I said, we're giving, are, are starting to give, uh, you know, stipends for people to, to go out and get these kind of the, the services that we provide. So, you know, everyone I think was affected in April and May. Um, our franchisees were no exception there. Um, but I, I do, do think that we're seeing a faster recovery than maybe some other, other industries are because we were, uh, we were able not, we didn't have to completely shut down and, People also, if they if they could get to their office, they could still go in and be segregated from the general population and do their job. We have, you know, we cater to attorneys, CPAs, counselors, and you know, they, they if if they can get to their office, they could do their job without any interaction with anyone else. Now, for you, uh, help us understand the CFO's uh, lines of sight. What are the numbers you're looking uh, close at? And I have to imagine it's new franchisees or how franchisees uh, are operating these days. But what would you tell us? You know, there's a couple of things, um, Jack, that we're really looking at. You know, as far as uh, sales of new franchisees, um, we've actually been able to, um, before the shutdown, we, we, we had five locations sold in, in January and February, um, which was actually putting us ahead of schedule for what we had budgeted this year. Um, obviously, March, April, um, May, June were tough, but we started selling again in July, and we sold between July and August another five units. So we've actually sold 10 units this year in the middle of COVID, which um, I, I think is short of, of, of a miracle. And then we, we've actually opened up nine locations this year. Um, even during COVID, we were opening locations. So we, the, the things that we focus on first off are um, sale of franchisees and getting those locations open. And then revenue ramp is very important to us. So some of the things that we're measuring um, are in a lot, of the, uh, a lot of the revenue that comes into a franchisee comes in through the website. Okay, so we're looking at number of leads, and then from those leads, we're looking at the number of deals that are created off of those leads, and then which, which leads we won or lost. Okay, so we try to get a closing ratio, and that's important to keep that closing ratio up there. And 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 um, we're we're measuring that against a, a combination of past performance and what we think the industry averages are too, as well. Uh, we we want to perform above the industry averages. And we want to perform better than we did yesterday. That's what we want to do. We're closing, closing deals. Closing deals. Uh, for your franchisees now, and I don't know if this comes under the the finance umbrella or maybe your customer uh, franchise support umbrella, but I imagine there's a dashboard that you supply them with uh, some some numbers to help them understand better uh, the opportunities before them. Oh, no, we, we share a lot of KPIs with the franchisees. And, and the one thing that we've been really focusing on, particularly in COVID, is um, revenue. A lot of the stuff I talked about, the leads, the deal creation, the win and loss of deals, that's at, at each individual location area. 
and we have coaches. We have we have what we call FBCs, franchise business consultants, and they're coaches, and they're working with their franchisees every week. They have calls with them. How are we going to drive in business? How are we how are we doing a closing deals? What training does your BCM need to help help with closing deals? Um, you know, so we're, we're we we do have a a, a, um, a big support for them. Our concept, our our model is a one employee model for that franchisee. So we do all the billing, and that's where accounting comes in. We do all the billing for the whole system here in in um, in Louisville. So so we have we have we have uh, people in our operations team in the back, what we call the back of the house, that do the billing for the franchisee. That franchisee then doesn't have to have someone doing that building billing, and then automatically their revenue is put into our our platform for for them to be able to see their 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 performance and their financial performance. They can track it on a daily basis because it's all it's all right there for them. Is it like a? Uh, I'm going to make a comparison, and I might be off, but is it like a gym membership? Yeah, is it, you know, exactly, I mean, it, you, you're it's just, exactly what it's like. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly what it's like. Yeah. In fact, we call we don't call it we call them clients. Um, client, we you kind of use that term, but really, it's we call them client members, and it's and that's what we call those individuals who like you know say 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 you wanted to get out of the out of the house, Jack, to 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 do to do your podcast maybe from an office that's in the corner of, the, of, of one of our locations that's quiet, um, you, you would become a member. You'd come and sign up for a membership. And the membership term can run from month to month to 12-month term. So, so we, we're, we're really flexible on that. And we try to be flexible. And that's, that's, that's another thing that kind of differentiates us, differentiates us from, from the competition is that we do have these flexible plans. Now to add some complexity when you come to when it comes to billing because we have a litany of plans out there, but we we have a, we have a, a great platform, and we've been um, and like I said, we take that out of the franchisees' uh, things to deal with. We deal with billing for them here. Can I ask, is this uh, because I'm thinking of uh, uh, here in the <laughs> suburbs of New York? Anyway. Um, our downtown is pretty hit hard from COVID. And unfortunately, some storefronts uh, will likely be left uh, vacant for a period of time. I have to believe there's a lot of uh, real, real estate owners, people who own these buildings and, and stores who might find this an attractive opportunity as well to occupy some of their space. Is there a reason you discourage that or from the actual uh, building owners from, from going in as part? Actually, we don't. And I think, and that, that might be something that we partner down the road is, is working with some of these large landowners or landlords. They have vacant space and they want to fill that and they, but they don't want to man it. They don't, they don't know how to operate a co-working office space. We're set up for that. We could either bring in ourselves as a company-owned location, or we could do it as a franchise location and work with them by just manning it. And so it is is—it is something that we're exploring down the road. There's all sorts of possibilities, I think, now in the world with COVID. I think people have to re, are really starting to rethink how they do business and how can I create another revenue stream that I can actually go out and, and exploit and, and sell. Wow. Well, that with that type of thinking, I'm going to have to ask you for uh, a finance strategic moment. Uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, we, we have this one question that we always ask uh, during the episode. 
Um, and it could have happened any time in your career, but the fact is you just kind of shared one with us. But we're looking for those moments of insight that you have experienced. Actually, we're looking for just one along the way, just given your lines of sight into the organization. You saw something and you reacted to it. What comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? Well, you know, Jack, when, when I when I was with the insurance brokerage um, in Wyoming, and we went up and we 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 went we went and purchased a um, the the second largest basically broker in the area, um, it was our competition, and we structured a deal. It was kind of a combination of 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 finance and operations, knowing the numbers, and I shared the numbers with them, and I said, hey, you know. It, we talked about it. There was three of us in the, in the decision-making process. And we talked about how we wanted to structure the deal because we were concerned that maybe the business, the, the business that we're buying could shrink because the producers were older and they were going to retire from the business and they have the relationships in that business. So we wanted to give them enough of a carrot to stick around and keep that core business while continue by, but also we needed the energy to grow at the same time. So we had some, we had a couple of young producers that we hired as part of what our overall strategy, we structured the deal so that if it, the, the price of the, the purchase price of that business was based upon that core business amount. We measured it when we closed the deal and we measured it at the end of the deal. And that was something that, that, I had a big, big part of suggesting to the other two guys on, Hey, this is the, this is the best way to structure this because we have risk there with that core business leaving. And that's what we're purchasing. So we need to, we needed to really focus in on those numbers. And so we, we, we figured out a way to track it with, with our accounting system, with our, with our ERP and we were able to track it. And actually when we, when we came to the two year point of where we remeasured it, we actually paved a little bit less than what we we purchased, but we also grew at the same time because we hired those new producers. That was that was also something that we said operationally and and with finance that we needed to do. We actually grew the new business. Actually, became more of the book, the business for the those the, that new business in the first two years. So we actually ended up paying a little bit of a discount for the core business, and we got all this other business that came along. And it, it, it worked out to be a really great deal. And then when we went to sell that three years later to uh, U, U.S. B, uh, Bank of the West, we um, we we actually had a, a a nice multiple and a nice gain um, based upon how we did that. So I would that was that was that was probably my my uh, that's probably my all star moment. When we return, CFO Mike Brower enters the mentoring round. The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute 
for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Hi, we're back and we've entered the mentoring round with CFO Mike Brower. This is where, for the first time, you really stepped into a leadership role and suddenly you you had all these responsibilities fall on you. Um, it might have been the first time you were in a CFO role, but it might have come earlier, might have come, might be a little later. Uh, and we're just wondering, we're asking leaders, what is that piece of advice if you could go back and tell yourself something uh, as you took on all that leadership responsibility? What is that piece of advice you'd give yourself? Um, that culture is is almost the most important thing um, to look at when you're when you're going into that role. Because um, I, I like you, like you've elaborated too. I, I have had multiple roles in finance, and the two that stick out the most are office evolution and the insurance brokerage job because the culture was was so important and it permeated throughout every everyone bought into it and here at office evolution we have we have 62 franchises out there and multiple employees that all have to buy into it and if that's not if that for me that that's the most important thing because everyone then is on the same page i've been where i've worked in in areas where everyone isn't on the same page and everyone doesn't buy into the culture and usually it's pretty dysfunctional. So I think that if, if, if someone told me, if someone could tell, if someone would have told me back when I first took that first job out of public accounting, that look at culture, that's the most important thing, that would have been great. Cause I probably wouldn't have gone to a couple of jobs that I went to if I would have, if I would have realized that early on. And, and uh, okay, so uh, again, culture is a, a term we, we throw around quite a bit. And I know that you're hitting on something there special about uh, office evolution is it a if i was to try to describe it is it the attitude of the the employees who work there there's some sort of mindset that you share widely how how, do, how would you characterize culture for us help us understand what it means to you we we actually we we care mark um our ceo grew up in hawaii and ohana was was big for him in hawaii and um, family and he's brought that to to this business, and and I really truly believe that. Um, I mean, I if I had a franchisee call me at nine o'clock at night because they're working on their PPP loan application or their EIDL loan application, I'd take that call, and because I care about them, and 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 I and I and I think they aren't hesitant to call me because they know that I'll take that call because because we all feel like we're in this together. Some places you don't get that. You don't get that in, you know, that, that kind of feeling. I, um, it's hard to, I, it's hard to express it in words. It's just a feeling that you have that everyone is pushing in the same direction and everyone is trying to help everyone else achieve uh, greatness. And for you yourself as a, as the finance leader of the company, is there something that you do or have you stopped to think, okay, how can I, and maybe it comes naturally, or maybe it's very calculated. How do I reinforce this culture? How can I help this nourish this culture? Um, and again, I like that the sense of family that uh, your CEO seems to understand that that's part of it, that sense of belonging, uh, maybe. I, I don't know. Is there something that you do as a finance leader that you think helps uh, fortify and nourish that, that culture? You know, I, I don't, I don't, um, I don't lock myself behind a door and, 
put on the green shade. I mean, I'm out, I'm out walking around. I mean, it's a little harder right now with COVID <laughs> to walk around the office and we have most people working at home anyway. But I, I mean, I, I know a lot about uh, my direct reports, the, the direct reports that come to me. I know a lot about their family. I know a lot about everyone's family here. And I, I would think that there's a lot of people that will that they will say that they all know a little bit about everyone, and that they that they, they, they they're genuine. They ask about, hey, you know, how, how was how was Jaden's football game? I'm, I'm using my senior staff accountant as an example. Her son plays football. How was his football game? How's he doing with school, being at home? And that comes easy. It's not something that that's surfacey or anything like that. I genuinely have an interest in what in what in what's going on with the my fellow peers here. You've made this, uh, the point so nicely here, and you've emphasized the word genuine, which has sort of prodded my memory. Usually, uh, and we're a question away from where I usually ask for a book selection, but I just want to mention here, the, the only book more than 50 years of age that is regularly uh, recommended on this podcast is How to Make Friends and Influence People. And it's Dale Carnegie who uh, first put down the words, become genuinely interested in other people. It's one of his founding uh, principles or, or guiding principles. Um, but anyway, I just want to mention that here because I think, yeah, this genuine interest in others is really what distinguishes corporate cultures, caring cultures um, in so many ways. And it's not easy to do. And that's why uh, I think Carnegie emphasized it so much. Um, okay, we want to find out something on the personal side about you, Mike. This might be a habit that you have or part of your daily routine or regimen. What what comes to mind when I ask for a, a, a personal habit or routine? Well, I, I, um, I'm, I'm an avid ex exerciser. I exercise quite a bit. That keeps, that keeps my mind and my body clear. I, I used to run marathons until about 10 years ago, and I, I wore my body out, and I had to have a hip replacement. Now I get on the bike every day. But, um, I mean, I, I would guess that that's probably a personal habit or routine that I, I completely advocate um, because I think um, it clears the head. Now, did you run a multiple? And we, uh, one of our recent interviews, there was another marathon runner. Did you run multiple marathons, or did you do it once, or what was your? I, I actually I ran twelve. Um, I ran bot. I ran Boston twice, ninety seven and ninety eight. Um, and um, you know, I I I I I wore my body out. The doctor, the orthopedic surgeon, said if he would have seen me when I was a teenager, that he wouldn't suggest that I run anything over a ten k. But um, I ran track in college for um, for a couple of years, and I always had an interest in running and exercising. Um, my, both my parents did a lot of exercising. My mother was swimming uh, until the, until three months before she passed away. She was swimming every day. But uh, but you know I I um I've run twelve marathons and and uh, did multiple road races, and it was it was a great time. And now I've kind of funneled that energy into cycling, and um, I do a, a lot of cycling around. Um, there's a lot of events around in Colorado, not so much this year, but most years you can do the cycling events. So did you, how did you, how long was your rehabilitation after your hip replacement? Oh, you know, it, it actually, it actually was um, pretty quick. Nowadays they do it as outpatient, but they had me up the, the I went in for surgery at two o'clock in the afternoon. They had me up the next morning about six with a walker walking around the nurse's station. And they discharged me at the end of the end of the day. And by about 
um, six weeks I was on the bike. And about three months, I was back teaching spin classes. So, and and I would have thought uh, runners' ankles and knees would be the first thing to give, but uh, hips uh, is that common as well? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did I did my knee. I had an ACL on my knee, and I've also I've also had a restructured uh, uh, rotator cuff on my shoulder. So. All right, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna stop there, but. And then, and then professionally, probably to-do lists, I do, a, I do to-do lists because I think they, they help immensely keep me, keep me organized and prioritize my workload. And um, the first thing I do every morning is I look at the bank. Uh, cash is king. Now that's, a, now that's a finance leader for us. Yeah. Is there a book you'd recommend? You know, um, Jack, I, I really like Michael Lewis. Um, and there's two books I've read of his. They're both kind of, well, Boomerang is one. It's a, it's a short read. Um, and that was about the uh, the mortgage uh, mortgage crisis of 2008 2009, and also you know how how there were lots of signs that it was that the things were going to happen and and no one was paying attention. And then um, Flash Boys also by him, which I found an interesting read. Um, so uh, both of those are good. Yep, yeah. We my, Michael Lewis is uh, is one of the popular ones with our guests for finance people. No no surprise, suppose. I suppose, but we're going to, uh, we're finally at our final question where we're once again, or actually this is, we're going to ask you to look forward, uh, for a change, uh, over the next 12 months as a finance leader, what are your priorities? My priority is to, is to continue to, um, help our franchisees grow and get back to that March, 2020 level of revenue. Um, that that's our big focus is going to be revenue. Um, and, it, and we've, we've talked about it as a leadership team, um, that we're going to get our employees all focusing on that for 2021 revenue is going to be a key word around here and, and getting, getting revenue back up to where, to those levels that we had in, in March of 2020, which was a, like I said, a record month, let's beat that month and let's go forward. Um, you know, and the other thing we're going to probably work on is some some cost savings and efficiencies that we can do through technology um, um, in order to um, continue to grow. Because, you know, we 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 we're, we're looking at um, 80 locations probably by the end of the first quarter of 2021. And as you get more locations, you don't want to have to keep adding a lot of full time headcount. So we got to figure out ways to to service that those franchisees they come on through either if some kind of technology efficiency or some somewhere along those lines so those would be those would be my 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 prioritizations as a leader as a franchise and, and leader of the franchise group to uh, to get done so mike brower thank you for joining us on cfo thought thank you jack enjoyed it Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 
print edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.